The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome again to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And I'm really delighted today. I'm going to be welcoming you shortly to Tony Newman. We're going to be talking today about Dare to be Different, uh, more customers, more revenue, more growth and why we should uh, really stand out, be different, and how to do it. Uh, I want to first, though, say a huge thank you to my guest last week. I thought Kirsten Felway was a fascinating person to talk to. Uh, We talked about lessons of a business ranger, as although um, Kirsten is uh, a political commentator in Germany and uh, a global speaker, um, she also trained to be a uh, a ranger in Africa and uh, therefore we talked about um, leadership and inspiration really drawn upon uh, her experiences in the African wilderness so do check that out if you're interested in Africa if you're interested in in business and you know different take on things uh, really good show to listen to so if you own or run a business then you know that to drive business growth you need to attract keep and engage more customers and every day your customers are faced with more and more choices, which means that every day those same customers need to be reminded of why you. Why should they do or continue to do business with you? Now, my guest today is five-time award-winning business owner and member of the Canadian Speaking Hall of Fame, Tony Newman. Tony is a highly sought-after business speaker and innovation catalyst, and she helps her clients turn inspiration into innovation and ideas into results. Uh, results that help you attract, keep, and engage more customers. Um, Tony also works with some really, really top, big name brands uh, across North America. Now, I first experienced Tony several years ago. Um, Tony was over in Manchester. Uh, she was speaking to a very large audience of professional speakers uh, while balancing on a stepladder. And I really remember her you know, how she did enthrall everybody in her in her speech. And she really kind of stuck in my mind. And that ladder really stuck in my mind as something different. So I'm sure we'll talk about that a, a little bit more later. Uh, Tony's also fluent in, in both English and French. She travels really extensively. Um, and we're going to talk about um, some simple and proven powerful tools to help you um, uh, really grow your business. So a huge welcome uh, to Tony Newman. Thank you, Chris. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, lovely, and I'm uh, delighted to, to have you here. Um, but, um, you travel all over the world, but where is home? Home is in Montreal, Canada, in the province of Quebec. It's a beautiful city that kind of falls between the small town and the big city, so it's perfect. Oh, wonderful. And, and uh, where, you, where you live, is that French-speaking or English-speaking, or both? 
That's, that's a really good question. Montreal itself is pretty bilingual. If you go in certain directions, it becomes entirely francophone. If you go in the other, it becomes entirely anglophone. So to, to function and live here, you really need to be able to communicate and work in both languages. And were you brought up in, in Quebec? Is that you know, where you originate? No. No, I'm actually from Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is way over in the eastern shore. I grew up on the ocean and traveled a lot and did a lot of different things with my life and ended up uh, here in Montreal in 1993. But as I say, it's got great food, great wine. It's kind of in the middle and uh, lots of thriving culture and ideas and innovation. It's a great spot for me to be. It's a part of Canada I've never visited. Um, It's a lovely place to, to... to uh, go to one day. Um, now, I heard that you once were a nightclub singer in Paris. Um, is this true? Well, it, yes, it's true. It came about because um, actually my, my first career was a lawyer. I was a litigation lawyer, which is not very exciting. Um, but I, I went off to Club Med on vacation one day. I went off to Club Med with my family on vacation and I actually never came home. And I spent the next 10 years traveling around the world and with Club Med as an entertainment director. And during that job, I uh, would sing in the show every night and one night somebody came up and handed me their business card and said Tony I'm opening up a nightclub in Paris and I'd love to have you headline in my nightclub so I took his business card and six months later I I moved to Paris so yeah I spent uh, 12 months singing in a nightclub in Paris and uh, six months singing in a nightclub in Geneva in Switzerland. Well I'm I'm, I'm kind of Intrigued. You said you were you you were a litigation lawyer, so presumably you you know you studied and you went through quite a significant education to do that. How do you go from being a litigation lawyer to uh, going on holiday with Club Med to then pop out the other side as an entertainment director? <laughs> How does that happen? Well, the the truth of the matter is that I practiced uh, family law, and in fact, I practiced. Uh, child abuse and spousal abuse, that was my area of expertise. And although it, it had been my lifelong dream, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer when I was 12 and I followed it through for many years. I was very tunnel visioned. When I got there, Chris, the bottom line is my skin wasn't thick enough. They all had my home number. I wanted to, to make all of their lives okay. And I guess when I, when I went away to Club Med, a, a door opened that allowed me to see another part of life. I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, doors open for everybody. The only difference is some people see them and some of the people who see them actually go through them. And I've lived my life that way. The door opened and I thought there might be something interesting on the other side. And I wouldn't have the life that I have now if I hadn't gone through that first club med door yeah, it's um it's a, it's a yeah, tough area that working in that area of child abuse i have a good friend yes. of mine who who worked in the uh, metropolitan police down in london and for a number of years she was in that sort of child abuse abuse area and then i i saw her and she said i've, ch- I've changed my job and i said oh wow, wow um um you know why did you leave what you were doing and she said oh i just got yeah. it just got too stressful um so i then said what are you doing now she said i've joined the murder squad <laughs> well, 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 there you go. I went to med. Not quite the same thing, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
it was much less stressful, apparently. Um, <laughs> so, so you um, you went from um, singing. I mean, did you ever have an aspiration to be a singer? Or, well, I, or I, had been, I had been singing all through my childhood. I sang my way through law school. That's how I made my money. And uh, as I said, the universe just opened a door. And uh, I don't think I'd ever imagined I would have been singing in a nightclub in Paris. But it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Mm, I, I bet it was beautiful city, and mm-hmm. as well. So you were you were singing um, nightclub in Paris, and then the universe then took you to advertising and event event innovation. I'm sorry, event management. Right. And now innovation. You know, tell us a bit about that journey, and you know how it helped you to move into this area of innovation, and maybe what you what you learned. Well, I did. I worked in advertising for a little bit, and I think I think the. The thing that makes how I think a little different is that I have the strategy background, I have the analytical background from being a lawyer, but I also have this creative side of me. And of course, those are two essential pieces for innovation. So in the in the short period of time, which was less than a year, actually, that I spent in advertising, I got a really good education in the combination of strategic and business outcomes with the creative And then I moved on to start my own event uh, management company, and we were specialized in creating large events, like product launches, uh, uh, restaurant openings, mall openings, international sales meetings. We really specialized in creating concepts for large events that had specific strategic objectives attached to them. And we were, this is back in the early 90s, and we were perhaps one of the only companies at that time that was really talking about return on investment in the event management industry. That was back in the days, and you may remember them, Chris, when late 80s, early 90s, when events were about whining and dining your customers or your clients, and mm-hmm. you know, an event was for event's sake. We were probably the one of the first companies in Canada to start saying, if you're going to spend that much money, what's the return on investment that you want? from that money that you're going to spend on the event. And we would actually measure the return on investment to the best of our ability. So we were actually quite fortunate. I say we because I had a partner at the time. We were quite fortunate and our event management company won five national awards. And they were all awards because the events were innovative and got a return on investment. And it was through those events that at people started to ask me if I would come to speak to them. And initially it was all in the event meetings industry and talk about A, how we came up with our ideas and B, how we made sure that our events actually got a return on investment. And so I started doing that, uh, discovered quite quickly that people would pay me to do it uh, and that I I actually enjoyed talking to people and helping them grow their businesses uh, by coming up with innovative ideas. I actually enjoyed that more than running my own business uh, in events. So that, uh, the again, a door opened, Chris, and somebody said, uh, why don't you think about becoming a speaker? I didn't even know such a thing existed apart from Tony Robbins. And I said, sure, let's explore the possibilities. And that was in 1998. And here we are. It's strange how all, all these, what can seem like, you know, the, at the time that they don't necessarily make sense, but when you look at them, they're all kind of interwoven together and they, you know, what comes out is something unique. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, I am a firm believer that the universe had a plan. And there, and there were some moments along that journey, Chris, that weren't necessarily great moments. Uh, had a bad relationship in there that wasn't a lot of fun. I uh, found myself doing things in life that perhaps didn't, I didn't feel suited me. But in 2020 hindsight, the universe definitely had a plan because what I'm doing now and the people I have in my life now, um, including my husband, all came from moving into this area, into the speaking and consulting area and the innovation expertise. And um, now I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And do you, do, you ever still, do you ever still sing with you speaking or is that? No. <laughs> no, we kind of. I see. I see in the shower. And, uh, but, but it's interesting that you ask that question because for a long time I would say that the only time I really felt a hundred percent me was when I was on stage singing. And now that I have the speaking area of my business, I really don't think it was as much about the singing as much as it was about. Um, being in front of people and being able to share a message. And now I do that with the spoken word as opposed to the uh, singing lyrics. But uh, I still get the same buzz. And uh, I, as I said, I, I, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. Excellent. I think that's fantastic, having the experience of you know, entertaining on a stage and then moving to, to speaking. That experience has got to be really, really helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, when people hire us to speak, they don't just want information. Obviously, they want value, but they also want to be um, entertained, for lack of a better word. They want to be engaged. Perhaps that's uh, the right way. They want to be engaged. And there's no doubt that my entertainment background helps me helps me do that. Mm. Now, we've talked before on this show about standing out. And uh, I think one of the you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you is that I know that you, uh, you know, it's for you, it's more than just being about being a bit different. I think you've got quite a unique perspective on it. So I'm really intrigued to to hear and you to share really, um, you know, top line, why we must stand out and why we must be different. Well, the reality is, and you said it in your introduction, uh, Chris, about the market getting incredibly crowded And to say that we need to stand out in a crowded market is almost oversaid, it's trite. And if you were to say to anybody, uh, do you agree that you need to stand out in a crowded market? Everybody would say yes. What they don't seem to understand from my perspective is truly what the definition of being different is. Uh, We've grown up in a continuous improvement culture where for the most part, people believe that if they get a little better at doing what they've been doing for the last five or 10 years, they're going to stay market leaders. The reality is that better isn't good enough anymore and that the only competitive advantage, the only thing that will get us to stand out in today's market is not just to be better, but to be better and different. But even if people accept the fact that they need to be different, what we observe for the most part is, A, they're confusing better with different. They're not really different. And if they are different, a lot of brands are being different for the sake of being different. They're not necessarily being strategically different. They're not being different in the way that they create, demonstrate, and deliver value to their clients. So if you want to look at it this way, better is about improvement. I'm not saying we don't need to improve. We do need to improve. But the only thing that improving every day, the only thing that does is keep us in the game. The way to get ahead of the game is to be 
truly different, and, and your show is all about value, truly different in how we create, demonstrate, and deliver value. So different is about innovating. It's about creating value-based change that resets your customers' expert expectations. So it's not that people don't agree that they need to stand out and that possibly being different is the way to do that. It's that they don't truly understand what it means and don't perhaps have the courage to be as different, to dare to be different the way they need to be. Because if you can't get noticed, you can't get heard. And if you can't get heard in a crowded marketplace, you can't get the job done. Whatever that job is, selling houses, uh, selling insurance, uh, uh, finding clients for your engineering consulting firm, it doesn't matter what the job is. If you can't get noticed, you can't get heard, can't get heard, can't get the job done. And better doesn't get you heard or noticed anymore. Mm. Yeah, that makes uh, makes an enormous amount of sense, and and is this there is this something about you, you talked there about um, it's not not no not good to anymore just to be be better. Is this a process that can be you know a massive quick transformation, or do you need to do it sort of step by step and evolve over time? Daring to be different, yes, it, it is a step. There are certainly things that we can all do to dare to be different right away, but the beginning of that process is the conversation with ourselves, and when I say ourselves, I mean ourselves, our brands, our businesses, our teams, to truly understand what makes us different. You know, most of us go into these, most brands, most businesses go into these little isolated vacuums and they come up with the things that make them different, but the word different itself implies that you're different from something else. So it's truly understanding what value your competitors are offering out there in the marketplace and then intentionally and deliberately creating more innovative value, demonstrating the value that you have to offer in an innovative way and delivering the value that you have to offer in an innovative way. Yeah, so it's about, I, I, I loved when I read The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. The, the one, thing right, I really yes. took, one thing I really took out of that book was that um, people judge themselves based on their intentions, whereas others will always judge you based upon your behavior. Mm -hmm. Do you find uh, a lot of people maybe talk the talk, but actually it never translates fully into the behavior? Yes, and it doesn't translate into the behavior because they don't truly understand what that behavior looks like. There's a lot of people talking Mm -hmm. about innovation out there, but not a lot of clarity about what that looks like or how to get it. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to commercial uh, break now, but after the break, we're going to talk about you know how you, what you need to do to really make this value-based change. Um, I think we'll talk about the ladder as well. We've also got some uh, brilliant um, information, I think, about the five S's, which uh, we've got stuck on our office wall at the moment. Um, so do come back. Um, you also, I'll be able to tell you later on how to access uh, some of this information for, for free as well. So do come back with us, and we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with tony newman we're talking about about daring to be different um and um you know why it's not good enough anymore just to be better uh, now tony Companies often make you know tweaks uh, to try and stay better than the competition, and we talked about that a little bit before the break. What do they really need to do to make real value-based change? Chris, I, I want to divide the better and different up into, into two segments of what is essentially the same journey. A lot of being better is about playing catch-up. So... Brands will think that they've got to get better at certain things because they want to deliver better customer service or because their competition is doing something and they want to catch up. Also part of being better is exactly what you're referring to. And I love the fact that you use the word tweaks because that's exactly what it is. I mean, ask, ask yourself, the, the world is innovating around us. And it's not asking our permission. And so on the one hand, we've got this worldwide transformational change and on the other side we've got businesses making tweaks the tweaks all they can do the tweaks can keep them in the game the tweaks can get them to be slightly better than their competition but to create value-based change that resets expectations the key is to create experiences that differentiate themselves from their competition. It used to be that people valued products and they valued process and they valued services, but those are so easy to copy. You wake up one morning, you've got an innovative product or an innovative offering of some kind. Your competition can copy that in a second. 
the way to truly dare to be different is to look at your customer journey and dare to be different throughout all of the touch point opportunities in that journey. To look at the opportunities to create value, demonstrate value, and deliver value along the journey. I mean, it may sound trite to talk about Apple, and we'll talk about a few other examples uh, probably a little later in the show, but Apple constantly looks at where they can create value along the customer journey. So Apple didn't figure out a better way for people to stand in line in their stores. They figured out a different way for people to stand in line. In fact, people don't stand in line in the store at all. Better is about redesigning Innovation is about redefining moments in the customer journey where you become the gold standard and you own those moments. Does that make sense? It, it does, yes. And I think I think that point there about looking at the touch points, because we're not just talking here about you know a new marketing campaign, are we? Or oh. you know, something designed a bit different. You, 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 what we have is. Um, which we've actually put on the Chris Cooper website. It's in the, if you look in the news section and you look for the uh, the news about the show with Tony in there, you can download this. But there's, uh, Tony's um, consolidated for us um, 50 plus touchpoint opportunities. Um, so do you want to maybe just be helpful, Tony, just to you know, explain a little bit more about some of those different touchpoints. And I can read some from the, from the list here, but that we're talking about a lot of potential Absolutely. Every one of those touchpoint opportunities, and we can talk about some examples, is an opportunity. That's, that's first of all, the, the first change in mindset. They're not touchpoints. They're touchpoint opportunities because, quite frankly, for most businesses out there, there is no touch in their touchpoints. So we're going from everything that is as obvious as a website and a business card and advertising and trade shows and those kinds of things to really innovative brands that IKEA turned a set of their stairs in their store into a set of drawers to influence people's mindsets about how IKEA could help them be more organized. So when I start with uh, working with a client, for example, we will ask them how many touchpoint opportunities they think they have in their business, and they will probably come up with 10 or 15. On the list that we've provided, there's probably close to 60. But in general, Chris, I can guarantee you that I could find over 100 touchpoint opportunities in any business. If you think about a website, for example, every page on that website is a touchpoint opportunity for brands who do YouTube videos, which all of us should be doing. Those, each video is a touchpoint opportunity. We need to look at every moment in the customer journey when we can influence our customers' perception of value by creating innovative experiences. It's interesting. I'm glad you said there was 100 because the first one that came to my, my mind, which wasn't on the list um, was I, I get sometimes get really frustrated by um, company um, foyers reception areas yes and you know how some people just don't take advantage of it I went to a one amazing organization and, and the place was buzzing it was energizing there was drink warm welcome great place to sit and the following day I was in a financial institution and I was sat down in a large office by somebody from security and put in front of a tv screen which had just got um news scrolling across it nothing about the organization nothing 
that engaged me. And then, and by the time I'd walked in, I'd heard about, you know, several deaths and a terrorist incident. Did I feel good walking in there to see the board? Not particularly. Um, that is such a brilliant example. And in fact, the list that we've shared with you is the general one we make for all businesses. Uh, we also have them all broken down by industry, everything from retail to automotive to uh, uh, financial institutions in your example. And one of our touch points is exactly the waiting room. And in the waiting room, there are probably another half a dozen touchpoint opportunities right down to the reading material that's mm. on the tables. And your experience is a perfect example. I often say that a missed idea is a missed opportunity to remind your customers why you. If we don't look at these touch points as opportunities, they are then missed opportunities. So either we are um, having a missed opportunity or what's worse, Chris, is when the touch point tells a completely different story than what you want your brand to represent. I often share the story of going to a very, very high-end spa um, for a day, spending much more money than I ever thought I ever would at a spa to have a day of rest and relaxation. And when I got into the washroom... It was one-ply toilet paper. Now, <laughs> the man listening may not see what a disconnect that would be, but how can you be a high-end brand and have one-ply toilet paper in your washroom? So, for example, toilet paper is a touchpoint opportunity. It just depends on your business and all those moments when you have an opportunity opportunity to remind customers why you or actually why not you yeah i'm 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 smiling looking at um this is badges here wearing at networking events but i, I was thinking going yes. back days years ago um this was this was a slightly different badge it was um i worked in the sales force for a big confe global confectionery firm and one thing i was given on my first day was some um sticky well, um, there were magnetic strips to put on the side of your car, which had got, you know, c characters and the branding of the company. And as salespeople, we hated wearing them uh, yes. and driving around in them. So we would uh, so we'd, we'd all stop just, you know, a few streets away from a, a conference that we had. And then we'd go and put our plates on <laughs> and then we would yeah. all drive in. But it, it had a counter effect because it actually, you know, demoralized the staff. And badges are a great example. They're... I mean, it, for me, it makes no sense. We go to networking events, hopefully, to stand out from the crowd. And the first thing we let the organizers of the event do mm. is to hang a label around our neck that looks exactly like everybody else's. So I am famous for not badging. I don't badge. Anywhere I go, I do not badge. I have a monkey, which is part of our brand. His name is George, and George stands for the courage of letting go of where you've been so you can get where you're going. Uh, because if monkeys, if you watch monkeys fly through the jungle, they have to let go of the branch behind them to get the branch in front of them. But George is my badge, and if people come up and don't see my name, well, that's fine. Then we get into a conversation. But yes, those are that's a that's a great example, Chris. There's so many opportunities, and we just don't use them to stand out. We actually end up using them to fit in. We look at the best. 
So, sorry, I, I just got me excited. I was just think, yes. thinking, that, you know, actually just creating your own badge that you could take yes. to all working events. And, yes. and where, okay, I've got my own. Yeah, right. and, why, and why, wouldn't, why wouldn't we? If, if we're going to invest money in a networking event, we don't want to fit in. We want to stand out. So whether it's the color that some people wear because the color is part of their brand and everybody knows them because every time they see them at an event, I have a colleague who does that. Um, she, she wears red because that's part of, of her brand. But anything we could do to stand out, the worst thing that can happen to us is, is what we refer to as best practices because what we end up doing is looking at what everybody else is doing and copying it. But we're so busy fitting in, we're not putting any energy into standing out. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I recommend you go and get that list. Um, there's a list here of 50, 60, um, and by going to chriscooper.co.uk and the news section and just download it, it's it's free. Lots of things there to, to think about. Um, you must tell us, though, what's the symbolism of this? This You take a big stepladder with you when you travel, um, when you travel so lightly uh, <laughs> on your speaking tours. Um, what's the symbolism of that? Uh, her name is Priscilla. Yes, everybody knows. And she's bright red. And yes, I do travel with her everywhere I go. Um, Her symbolism is very simple. Better happens at the bottom of the ladder. It is the first rung of the ladder. I want people to be very clear that I'm not saying we don't need to be better. I'm just saying that where competitive advantage in the marketplace is concerned, the first step, the first rung on the ladder is better. However, different innovation happens at the top of the ladder. And that's because when you get up to the top of the ladder, you look out over the heads of the way things have always been done and you see the opportunities that your competition isn't seeing. You see those moments when you can create experiences. And as people have reminded me on several occasions. I'm usually in a skirt and heels and it is the sheer fact that I walk up and sit on the top of that ladder that says on the side of it, do not sit, that reminds people that it's not just enough to see opportunities. You have to have the courage to embrace those opportunities. You have to have the courage. Chris, I believe that everybody has innovative ideas inside of them. I I don't think that I have any responsibility or or can take any credit for the ideas that people come up with. I just think that for the most part, they don't have the courage to think about those ideas, to really own them. And then they don't have the courage to share them. And then they don't have the courage to act on them. So if me walking up to the top and sitting on the top of a bright red ladder in a skirt and heels can remind people that you know, you have to teach yourself to see what others don't see so that you can know what others don't know. And, you know, I've tried to, to, to I actually retired the ladder at one point about 18 <laughs> months ago. And I said, I've got to do something different. And the marketplace wouldn't let me. People would call and say, you need to bring the ladder. Well, I think that conference, I'm trying to think now, it was maybe two and a half years ago, something like that. And if I think back to the conference, it was two days and there was a lot of speakers who came on that stage. And the the, the two memories that I have were uh, a a you on your ladder. And I think I think Jeff ran with his cricket pads on. Uh, (laughs) Jeff's been on the show and is in the archive, been on the show two or three times. Um, So, yeah, you know, even all of that time you stand out. And if you're looking for a speaker to book... Uh, who do you remember? 
Well, and, and if I can just build on your point, it's interesting that those, you, you say that you have those two memories. Both of those are visual memories. And one of the things about being innovative, and we're going to get to it a little bit when we talk about the, the five S's, is businesses and brands are too busy telling us what makes them different instead of showing us what makes them different. You know, we used to talk about sound bites. Now we need to think in sight bites. What do people see? What are the memorable moments that create an emotional connection or an intellectual connection when people see our brands? And that's why I talk so much about experiences because experiences change the way people feel. And those visual elements are hugely important for retention of, uh, of that feeling. You are still connected to the feeling you had with me and my ladder and, and Jeff and his, his cricket app. Yeah, yeah. So we've just got a couple of minutes now to a commercial break, but you talk, mentioned about the five S's to being innovative. Um, do you just want to, we've only got a couple of minutes, but just maybe a, a over, overview what those five S's are? And because we've, we've talked about different you know, ways, different touch points that we can look at, but with those touch points, the five S's gives us some you know, really thought provoking, I think, points to then, uh, to then think about how we make uh, them different and better. This is one of the things that has been missing as far as I'm concerned in the industry is we talk a lot about innovation. We may even have a definition for innovation, but we don't have a matrix with which we can evaluate an idea to know, A, is it really innovative and B, is it going to give us a return on our investment so quickly? And perhaps we can talk more after the break. The first S is surprising because you have to get their attention. If you can't get noticed, you can't get heard. And if you can't get heard, you can't get the job done. So the experiences you create, and remember, by experience, I'm including products, services, your marketing, your delivery methods, all of those touch points. So the first one is surprising because you have to get their attention. The second one is strategic. Because if I'm your customer and you've got my attention, boy, now you have to hold my attention. And to do that, you have to tell me exactly what you want me to think, feel, and do next. So that means when a brand creates one of these experiences, you have to know what the desired strategic outcome is and how you're going to measure it. The third one is seductive. And this is all about the customer, or we're talking about customers here, Chris, but this could be any stakeholder. It could be donors, members of associations, the board of your uh, of your company. Um, seductive is what's in it for them. How do you reach them not just by providing what they need, but how they feel? The, first, the fourth one is sustainable. How long can this experience survive before it's no longer unexpected? And the fifth one is my favorite, and it's simple. We can create incredibly complicated, innovative experiences, but they don't need to be. And the simpler they are for you and the simpler they are for your customers, the more effective they will be. Fantastic. Love those. We're going to talk a little bit more about those after the break. Um, So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper here. I'm with Tony Newman. We're talking about uh, about being uh, different. And before the break, uh, Tony shared with us her 5S solution matrix, which was about uh, being surprising, uh, about making sure what you do is strategic, that it's seductive, that it's sustainable, that it's simple. Uh, I, I think that's a really fabulous way to, um, to to kind of use this scorecard to to help you uh, with um, this this better and different. Uh, perspective and now i'd like to ask you tony do you have some favorite examples of innovative value-based change you know where, where all five of these were present one of my favorite examples is a cereal it's a canadian cereal called shreddies now shreddies is a is a square uh a wheat square do you have them over there in the uk we, do shreddies? we know shreddies okay. the, since i was a child i think well, absolutely, and we've all eaten Shreddies since we were, ch- we were children. Um, in 2007, uh, Shreddies discovered that they were losing market share, and so their first reaction was that there must be something wrong with the product. But they did some focus groups, and it turned out there wasn't anything wrong. What had happened was that Shreddies had disappeared on the grocery store shelves. I mean, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but over here in North America, you walk into the cereal aisles, and I say aisles, and there is cereal after cereal after cereal. So what Shreddies did is they launched Diamond Shreddies. Now, visually, it was exactly, and it was exactly the same cereal. So instead of the square being a square on the box, they created diamonds on the box they created this whole story chris about how there had been an accident in the plant and all of a sudden the machines were only spitting out diamond shreddies and not not square shreddies they changed the box they did all of these things and you know what 18 percent increase in market share in the first quarter from relaunching the same cereal but what they did was they created an experience so let's look at this through the eyes of the five s's Was this surprising? Yes. Nobody expected it. Was it strategic? Well, absolutely. The one goal that Shreddies had was to remind people that Shreddies was on the store shelves and that they should buy it and try it again. And they did. 18% increase in market share. 
Was it seductive? Well, this is a tricky one. Most people loved it. Obviously, it was seductive for some people because they got an 18% increase in market share. There were people who didn't like it at all, but they also spread the news all over the internet. So in that case, it worked out well for them. Was it sustainable? Well, this was the thing. The campaign was supposed to last for 12 months. They were making money hand over fist. So they kept it for 18 months. But Chris, at the end of 18 months, they pulled the plug. You could not find boxes of diamond shreddies on the grocery store shelves. In fact, empty ones were selling for hundreds of dollars on eBay. (laughs) So that's a great example of sustainable. And was it simple? Well, it cost them one third of what a normal brand relaunch would cost and everybody got it. It was simple for them and simple for the customer. So that's an example because each one of these S's, Chris, is worth five points. And so you want to have a score of at least 20 or 21 or over to prove that your idea is really innovative. If you score low on any of those S's, what you have, according to me, is a hole in your cheese. And you need to go back and boost the score of that S. So Shreddy's had all five S's. The ALS uh, ice bucket challenge. Anybody who knows about that. I I checked this morning. They're well over a hundred million dollars. More, I think that was a 3,500% increase in donations. And, you know, just quickly, I don't need to do it. Run it through the five S's. Was it surprising? Hugely strategic, Mm. obviously. Seductive? Well, even the people who didn't like it adapted it to their own needs. I think Patrick's Stewart did it with scotch or something. Um, Sustainable. They did it. They can't do it again now, but they did it. And it was simple. So there are tons of examples. The trick is if you're missing any one of the S's, you're not going to get a return on your investment. That's really interesting, though, because even though, yeah, um, were you seduced seduced by it? Um, I can't say I was seduced by it, but I didn't have to love watching other people do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And enough people must have been seduced by it because they raised so much money because the goal wasn't even it wasn't even necessarily to raise money. It was all about raising awareness and that awareness drove the incredible uh, numbers of donations. I, I remember reading this morning there were individuals, obviously very well off individuals who had never donated before and donated in the tens of thousands of dollars just from one individual. Uh, absolutely amazing amazing it, just making me I, I was thinking about that seductive as you were saying about it and you know does it have to be uh, you know does it have to be something that appeals to people but you you point out in this list that we have here that you know, have you played the emotions card because it can be an emotion i remember working for when i worked for mars years ago um we at the time i was there that the, the, the there was a chocolate bar called marathon in the uk but it was called snickers in america and right. other parts of the market so you know it was a simple change uh, to change the brand name to snickers which incidentally was the the name one of the mars family had named their horse believe it or not the daughter had named right. their horse that's where <laughs> snickers came from and um and was it surprising yeah everybody was surprised they hit the news this, this chocolate bar people had for years um was right. it strategic yes it was global was it seductive well people hated it they um they were so irritated and frustrated, but the sales um it was was it sustainable? Yeah, long term, simple. But the sales um actually grew um significantly because so many people were talking about it and in yes. their frustration. Yes, 
Yes, and and you know, creating an emotion, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to be, as you say, a good emotion. Um, I remember seeing an ad, uh, which was a very very tough ad for organ donation, and it had a little girl standing beside a garbage can, and the caption was, "One of these two will get your organs after you die." Well, I have to tell you, I mean, that ne- necessarily a pleasant emotion. But boy, it drove the point home, and I have never, ever, ever forgotten it. And every time my organ card, donation card comes in, that's what I think of, and I sign it. So it doesn't have to be a good emotion. It just has to play the emotions card. Mm, and get people get people talking. I was just reading before we, we spoke about another, um, it, was a, it was a Maltesers uh, brand, and uh, they, they put out a series of ads which involved um, some people with disability, and they were quite a bit quite shocking, I think. And uh, they had something like 153 complaints about them, but they were all all upheld by the advertising standards. However, the the sales have grown and by 8.1 percent, which in that market is absolutely massive. Um, right. So it's you know it's had had the the impact. I think it was you know challenging taboo kind of subject areas, but on the whole, it's had a, an incredible effect. And I guess has been perceived on the whole very favorably. Yes, and I I think it's also important to note uh, for your listeners that sometimes when we talk about these examples, um, people think that this only applies to B2C, business to consumer. But all of this applies equally, if not more, to B2B. We can still, on a B2B, create these kinds of experiences that differentiate you from your competition. You can still look at your touch points and look at how you can differentiate those touch points. But the key to all of this, Chris, is actually knowing why you. It's actually knowing what your why you story is, because the reality is when the best are competing with the best, these are the brands that really don't need to keep getting better because they are already the gold standards. When the best are competing with the best, the bottom line is the best story wins. So really understanding what your why you story is for your brand and, of course, why you might also apply if you're, if you're applying for a job or you're looking for employees to come to work for your organization. All of these apply to those situations as well. Understanding what is the real unique value that you bring to the marketplace and, uh, and then making sure that you tell that story throughout all of your touch points. I think there was a recent article by Forbes where one of the top five reasons that eight out of 10 businesses fail is because they have no true differentiation in the marketplace. Just a scary statistic. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Best not be too seductive in a job interview though. No, no. (laughs) Well, well, yes yes and no. Yes, not seductive in the way that you're implying, but you obviously (laughs) need to, in some way, seduce your prospective employer. Of course, of course. (laughs) Um, So uh, are are there any of them which are more difficult to do than others? I would actually flip that and say that people think that they are all easier to do than they actually are. Uh Yes. Because their standards aren't very high. And I have seen this time after time after time. We hold what we call these living innovation labs. 
Um, they're one, two-day events with months of preparation in, in advance and more preparation, more implementation work after. And people have all of the S's. They've been trained in this before they get to the lab. And they'll come up with an idea and I'll say, well, what score did you give yourselves? And they'll go, oh, 24 out of 25. Um, it's because they don't, they're not tough enough on themselves. The purpose of the five S's is to find the hole in your cheese. Surprising, for example, people will say, um, oh, well, our customers would never expect us to do this. I go, yeah, but your competition's doing it. So it's not surprising. It's not about whether or not you, you know, your customers would be surprised that you do it. It would be whether or not your customers would be surprised that anybody in your industry is doing this. Uh, in strategic, they're never quite clear enough on their very narrow strategic objective. It really needs to be at this particular touch point. If you're a salesperson and you leave a message for somebody, a voicemail for somebody, how do you make that voicemail meet the five S's? And what is the one thing you want that person to do? Do you want them to call you back? Do you want them to go to your website? Do you want, I don't perhaps something else? Whatever it is, it can only be one. So yeah, each of the S's probably, and in that uh, cheat sheet I've, I've, I've uh, shared with you and hopefully with your listeners, I hope a lot of people go to your site and, and download those cheat sheets. There are the questions you need to ask yourself, but yeah, people usually underestimate how difficult all of them are. Mm, so that, that's where you kick in then. You you, yes. um, you deliver these living innovation labs and you work with, what, is it the, typically marketing teams or is it? No, it, no, in fact, because we believe that this is really a, a, a full organizational imperative, usually what we do is we're working with the leadership team leading up to it. And then at the innovation lab, for example, we just did one for uh, 100 partners. Uh, we've done one for entire leadership teams of up to 500 people for really large organizations. And we've done just eight or 10 uh, leaders from a particular business or they'll do the leadership and then they'll do marketing or they'll bring representatives of all of the departments in. And we've also done them, Chris, where it's a, it's a broader, more diverse audience where everybody in the audience is uh, um, an entrepreneur of some kind and all their businesses are different. But the result is the same. We want them to learn the process before they get there. We want them to use the process while we're there to go, you know what? You might have given yourself a four on that one. I'm giving you a two and here's why. And you need to fix all in your cheese. And then the, the reason also for us that we do these labs is staying involved with people so they actually implement the ideas. Chris, we had, a, we had an example recently, and I'll do this quickly, where a client came up in a living innovation lab with an idea that had a budget of $750,000 to $1 million. And people may go, that's crazy. Well, it was, but the potential return on the investment was 30 to $40 million. If they had implemented the idea, and what do you think happened? They never implemented it. No. They got back, they got scared, they got whatever, and it never got implemented. Courage is our biggest crisis these days. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you now, I've got one minute before we need to, I need to wrap up. Any final messages you want to leave us with? Just dare to be different. The, what you can do right now today is ask yourself what truly makes you different in comparison to your competition. Competition. Go get that list of touch points and the 5S evaluation. Start small. Start with your phone message. Start with your, your blog. Start with one piece of advertising and start running it through the 5S's 
and dare to be different. Understand why people should do business with you. Tony, I've loved talking with you today. Uh, I think what you do is hugely valuable. Um, I really, really do get it. And I do uh, love this um, this matrix and the and the touch points that you've shared. So you know, it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thanks so much, Chris. Uh, and um, if you want to ac- access that those cheat sheets, um, just visit chriscooper.co.uk, click on the news section, uh, I think, and you'll find the news uh, and, uh, about this interview today. And in there, um, you will find uh, downloadable the, um, the sheets. So do go and, and get those. Um, I also just want to um, say that Tony Newman, to, to find out a bit more about Tony, uh, visit tonynewman.com. Uh, now, Tony's uh, creating a new site at the moment, which must be very challenging when you dare to be different. Um, yes, it's gonna, yes. So we must, we must all go and look at it when it's um, up and running, because I'm sure an enormous amount of work has gone into it. Um, so, sorry, Tony, I hope I've, um, uh, you don't mind me saying that. Um, no, June, June. <laughs> Check it out um, in June. <laughs> it's going to be available in June, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, so go and go and have a look at the site now. But um, come back and have a look at the uh, new site uh, in June. Uh, I also um, want to say a big thank you because on next week's show, so we had the CEO of the Earthwatch, uh, Steve Gray. He's talking to me uh, with uh, Stuart Pickles as well. We're talking about One Planet Leaders, the business imperative for sustainability. And why I was saying thank you there is I actually recorded that last week. We're going to play it next week uh, in the live slot. Uh, and a great interview, um, fascinating individuals, an important subject. Once again, a huge thank you to Tony Newman. Thank you for listening. Any questions or comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you and have a, a wonderful week elevating your business and elevating yourself and getting out there and achieving um, lots more. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.